0: It is one of the most accessible and mesmerizing types of photography out there. We're talking about sunset and sunrise photography today. It is, it's definitely one of my favorites. You might know me as a nature wildlife photographer. Some of my sunset shots that I have over the years rival my own personal satisfaction with some of my greatest wildlife spectacles too. So I can't say enough good things about them. I want to teach you some of the techniques that I have learned and honed over the years as to how I get my best sunset and sunrise photography out there. going to spend a lot of time talking about today is where to go and like the time of day and all that i'm going to breeze through it really really quickly the basic gist is that you can get a sunrise or a sunset anywhere but the best places for them are usually you know no-brainer big open skies clean air that's a huge one that's why we often in in wilderness areas and on top of oceans we get these brilliant brilliant sunsets and sunrises uh because clean air is actually a big part of it you can go to some places just after fires for example maybe like brush fires or unfortunately wildfires and you get really interesting different types of sunsets but nevertheless clean air is a really really good thing but that's really all we're going to talk about as far as that because the truth is is you're going to be in a place that has great sunsets you're going to see it it's not anything you need to go chase after specifically so rather than spend time on that i'm going to tell you when you do have that great sunset how do you maximize it how do you get that next level shot Well, the first thing I'm gonna talk about is probably the most important tip. It's use your telephoto. Put the wide angle away, don't even prioritize that. If I'm walking out to the edge of the Grand Canyon for sunset, for sunrise, The only lens I'm going to have with me, well, if I have to just bring one lens, is going to be a telephoto zoom. And I'm not talking about like a medium, like, you know, 70 to 200. I'll bring my 100 to 400. Heck, you can bring a 200 to 500. That is going to produce the most sensational shots. Because what you can do is you can use this zoom, this telephoto. If you're in a point and shoot, just plan on zooming in and you can focus, you can draw the attention down to very, very small snippets of the beautiful sky, the beautiful clouds, the beautiful whatever, rather than the obvious, the seemingly obvious shot of a big wide angle, big ultra-wide getting the whole sky, the whole landscape, what that does is you have way too many contrast, way too many light and darks, and it minimizes the, the spectacle that is the, the sunset you're trying to showcase. It makes it less of your shot. A smaller proportion of your photo is the sunrise or sunset if you're using a wide angle. So the biggest thing I'm going to tell you right off the bat is prioritize your telephoto zoom. Now I'm saying zoom because it's nice to be able to frame a shot and the zoom is the the range, you know, if it's a 100 to 400. um, Yeah, a 400 prime would be fine, but the biggest thing, telephoto zoom, and you actually want to have some real deal firepower. You don't want to just go with something medium if you can help it because being able to zoom in is huge. It's going to really, really put the whole thing together. I should give you a quick caveat that I'm not saying don't ever bring a wide-angle lens. I mean, there have been some just killer sunsets I've seen over the years, particularly here in Boulder, Colorado, where it fills the sky. And a telephoto would just be the worst thing to have because you want to capture that really unique, very atypical, very special scene. But I guess what I'm really trying to get at here, just to reiterate, is that for the average sunset, for most sunsets, you're going to get the best shot by filling the frame, by zooming in, and not relying on getting that whole sky shot. Because, you know, let's face it, most sunsets and sunrises, the whole sky is not on fire. It's usually a smaller percentage of it. The next thing I'm going to talk about, this is probably a no-brainer, but it's good to really, really think about, especially if you have not previously heard my podcasts about white balance. White balance is massive for the type of color you get in your photo. I'm not saying there is a perfect white balance setting that you have to use for sunsets, but a great way to experiment with the power, the importance of white balance is actually to use different settings for the exact same sunset. Program in a cloudy white balance. Take the shot. Program in a daylight white balance. Take the shot. Look at them on your screen or on the computer afterwards and you're going to notice a very, very big difference in the expression of oranges and reds and yellows with a more cloudy white balance setting, usually associated with those higher Kelvin numbers, you know, the 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, opposed to the other end of the spectrum, those lower Kelvin numbers like 2,700, 3,000. These are just examples, that blue, the magentas, the purples, big differences uh, it's really up to interpretation. There is no perfect way to do it. It kind of comes down to your preference. Uh, you might justify it by saying you want to recreate more accurately what's happening with the sunset, and that's fine. But really, it's just whether you want a more warm effect or a cool effect. This is the same thing we're talking about for, for years, for decades, with warming filters, cooling filters. If you want to have a warmer-looking sunset, use cloudy white balance setting. If you want a cooler-looking effect, you want to put it on daylight, There are many other presets. There are custom settings you can do. Those are usually somewhere in between. But generally, I'm somewhere on the spectrum of cloudy to daylight for my white balance settings, for my sunrises and sunsets. Tip number three, find a foreground element. The sunrise, the sunset, it's going to be beautiful. The more spectacular, the better your photo is going to be, of course. But one easy, quick but very very important thing to do is find something in the foreground to focus on uh, or to at least draw the attention of the viewer it's great if the sun is your subject and that's that's your focus point and that is what you're essentially justifying as your foreground element that's not bad there's nothing wrong with that but as you start to do more and more, if you find that tree in the foreground, if you find, heck, if you're using your zoom telephoto, that mountain range in the distance, if you use your the extent of your telephoto and frame it correctly, that can be your foreground element. You could do this really, really cool thing with zoom compression where you use your telephoto and focus on a tree or a person far in the distance. And that's that effect where the person is surrounded by this massive orange sun. I know you know what I'm talking about. That's zoom compression. So finding something that's a subject that you can really draw the attention of the viewer towards is going to elevate your photo. Relying on just one part of basically any sort of photography, whether it's nature, wildlife, landscape, travel, whatever, if you're only relying on just the beautiful landscape and you're not having a person or a vehicle or a subject or something that stands out, you're losing some of the power with the photo before you. So you're probably thinking to yourself, If court's telling me to pick a focus point that is not the sunset, wouldn't that just turn the whole sunset too white, too blown out? Let me explain. So usually for most cameras, for any sort of mildly automatic settings, even aperture priority mode, shutter speed priority mode, P for program mode, definitely true auto. When you focus your camera, it's also going to do something called metering. It's going to choose the light scheme based on the ratio of aperture and shutter speed and and ISO to figure out the right amount of exposure for your shot. It meters. When you focus and meter on the same subject, let's just say that tree in the foreground with a sunset in the distance, if that tree is at all darker than the sunset, which all trees I know are usually darker than a bright sunset – you're going to notice that it's going to blow out or over brighten the rest of the shot because it's going to try to properly expose or meter for that tree at the expense of the sunset. We don't want that to happen. So here is an invaluable trick to get around that. You will notice if you have any sort of fancy camera, it can be just an advanced point and shoot, but certainly any mirrorless or DSLR, you're going to notice very likely an asterisk somewhere on your camera. Most models have this. I think Nikon calls it AEL or auto exposure lock. I will also advise you, you may have to look in your camera's manual or do a quick Google search for how to do this technique I'm about to explain on your camera, but the idea is you're going to decouple the focusing mechanism from the exposure choosing mechanism. So remember, like I said, just to repeat, when you hold that shutter down to focus your shot, the camera is also choosing the appropriate exposure level. So when you decouple that, you can actually focus on one thing, but then tell your camera to expose on the other. And this is all based on where that autofocus point is. So let me give you a practical example. So I'm in my mind. I'm going to try to portray this for your mind as well. Uh, you're imagining this beautiful sunset over the ocean and just in your sort of bottom right hand corner, there's a nice fishing boat and it's, it's dark. It's sort of silhouetted, but that's your focal point. That's that thing that I want you to actually focus on to provide the foreground subject. But of course you want the camera to expose for the sunset. So what you're going to do is you're going to find that auto exposure lock button, the asterisk or the AE-L, and you are going to put that center autofocus point, the the point that you would normally use to put over the focusing area. You're going to put that right over the sunset itself. Usually, I, I recommend folks to aim for a really vibrant cloud, um, you know, something that is really really bright, something that you. Want to express the most something that you want to showcase in a shot. Then you're going to hit that auto exposure lock button or the asterisk button. What that's going to do is it's actually going to lock in exposure for anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds. Camera makes and models are slightly different, but it's going to lock in that exposure and it's going to give you that additional 10 seconds or so, nine seconds or 14 seconds, um, to find another focus point. So that exposure is totally locked. So now, As you see this beautiful sunset before you, and let's just say, you know, there's a little fishing boat or something in the bottom right-hand corner that is silhouetted, you're going to then use that center focus point, put it over the boat, and then hit the shutter halfway to focus like you normally would. Now, because you've already locked in the exposure, that that shutter button is only going to lock in focus. It doesn't touch the exposure as long as you've done so within that, again, 10 or 15 second window that exposure is locked. So then the very last thing you're going to do once you've done that is recompose the shot, depress the shutter the whole way, and you get this beautifully exposed sunset, this nicely silhouetted foreground element, you get to have your cake and eat it too. We're kind of doing some building block exercises here. So one more thing to build onto that technique, or even if you do not wish to decouple exposure from focus. Sometimes you can just focus right on that bright cloud. Uh, it's going to focus and meter. It just be this great sunset shot. That's when you don't have a foreground element. But oftentimes, this next technique is going to help with pretty much any sunset or sunrise photography. In general, what I'm going to advocate for is that you manually underexpose your shot by one or even two full stops. Now, if you don't know how to do this, it's usually a little plus or minus button somewhere on your camera, and then you push that and then use your little, your wheel, your dial wheel to to go to the left and go to the negative values of negative one or negative two, and that's gonna forcibly tell your camera you want your shot to be darker than the camera might otherwise think. So I'm not gonna go into detail of the science behind all that because this is just really quick, poignant tips, but as long as you are not on full auto, any other setting is going to let you manually override your camera's choice of exposure. And you can go the other direction too, and you can overexpose and brighten a shot. But again, what we're trying to do with sunrise and sunset photography is darken what is an otherwise very, very bright scene, which really brings out the richness and the saturation of the colors. It helps express the yellows or the purples or the blues, or the reds, whatever you're going for. You're going to notice an underexposed shot is going to be much better nine times out of 10. There's always an exception, so don't totally take my word for it. But if you have not tried that technique, it's definitely something worth uh, exposing for. I was going to say experimenting with, actually. So, yeah, again, underexposing your shot, one to two full stops. It's going to give you a more brilliant, more vibrant shot each and every time. This next one is less of a camera or settings tip and more of, I guess, a a lesson on patience. (laughs) Uh, Sunsets are fantastic, they are beautiful as the sun's going down. We all sort of hold our breath as that last little glimmer of orange goes below the horizon. Some people like to wait for that, that green flash if they think they can see it. Um, but sometimes the most brilliant colors and settings in the environment actually happens well after the sun's gone past that horizon level. So my advice here is definitely do not just move on. That moment, you you metaphorically or literally cheers to the end of the day and say, "Okay, sun's gone, must must not be any more to the show." Uh, you're gonna lose a lot of really cool photo opportunities. So oftentimes, clouds that may be at a specific angle will get more illuminated. You might get different colors. You might get different parts of the sky being colorful or well-lit. There's just a lot of variability. You could even move this into what I call the blue hour photography, which is essentially more on the form of night photography. You're obviously not photographing a sun, but you do get this really, really nice blue in the atmosphere. And so you can take you know, a semi-long exposure, one seconds, two seconds, you definitely don't need on the level of astrophotography. But if you'd like to try that, I, of course, have a Night Photography 101 podcast you can check out as well. But hanging tight a little bit after sunset still gives you the opportunity for great sunset photographs. Conversely, if you are uh, an early morning person and you want to go out before the sun actually peaks up for the day, you can get a very equivalent blue hour before that, and you might be able to get some really cool cloud colors before the sun actually shows its face so again using a little bit of that window that that shoulder time before the sun comes up or after goes down and capitalizing on whatever else the day has in store for it this next one is an oldie but goodie but it is still paramount to begin with good composition or if you are going to break the rules of composition make sure you're doing so knowingly and with proper intention so, you know, classic example of a sunset over the ocean, the beginner photographer is going to put the sun smack dab in the middle of the screen, the horizon right at 50-50, and it's going to be a decent shot. It might be a great shot, but you're going to notice that if you instead adhere to the rule of thirds and split your scene, essentially the horizon, into the either the upper third or the lower third, you're going to get much more dramatic, much more aesthetic results. Not to say that it's not possible to get a great shot or even a better shot with a horizon right 50-50, but as you know from all my other podcasts and talks is that there is a mathematical rule around aesthetics, and it has to do with this idea of rule of thirds. Break your scene into thirds. In addition, you may say that there's a bunch of other interesting foreground elements, and you might arrange those at those intersecting points of this rule of thirds. This is not really the time to get into the, the full detail of rule of thirds and golden ratio and Fibonacci sequences and phi grids and various composition rules, but the, the reminder is that sometimes when we see this brilliant sunrise or sunset before us, we kind of lose our minds and, and we just say, well, boom, smack dab in the middle of the shot. Remember, proper composition is always a good thing, always an important thing to great photography. Now, I will tell you one time that I really, really do break the rule here, and it's not so much that I put the sun or the clouds or whatever in the smack dab in the middle, but I'll do kind of my my favorite rule-breaking strategy for composition, and that is exaggerated composition. So this lends itself really well because of the big skies we might see at sunset times, uh, big landscapes of open water, oceans, deserts, farmland, big fields, meadows, mountain scenes is I'm going to exaggerate composition in some way or another. And what that means is rather than break it into the rule of thirds with a horizon at, you know, either the upper or lower third, is I might break it into, you know, more or less tenths. And I might put that horizon at the very, very sliver of the bottom of my screen, showing just a a ridiculously exaggerated small mountain range. You know, these might be 10,000 foot peaks, but it's just the very sliver of the bottom of my frame here. Or conversely, I might do the opposite and fill most of the frame with ocean water if there's a beautiful reflection from the sunset. And then just the top, just the top, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh part of the frame, that top sliver is the sunset itself. Uh, You know, it's very circumstantial. It depends on what's before you. Do you have a nice reflection? Do you have a good mountain range? Do you have a lot of clouds? But exaggerating composition is a really compelling way to create drama, um, almost create a little bit of tension in the shot because you're doing something outside of the norm, but it does showcase sunsets and sunrises in a really great and a really unique way. So exaggerated composition, one of my favorite ways to break my own rules. So that about wraps it up, folks. I want to review the various steps here. You know, use a zoom telephoto, get in there, fill the frame with that orange, yellow, red, purple, blue, whatever. Set your white balance. You know, do you like a warmer shot? Do you want that sun to just to feel like it's on you, that intense heat? Or maybe you're in a cool blue atmosphere, maybe you're in a cool blue mood and you kind of want to create that mystique with some of the pinks and purples, magentas and blues with a daylight white balance. Um, you can do a lot of this on the computer, I'll be totally honest, but there's something really fun, really re- rewarding and really exciting when you do it in location. So I do recommend toying and playing with white balance. You'll probably find your favorite pretty quickly after experimenting and be doing that setting for probably the rest of your life, sunset and sunrise photography. Um, Find a foreground element. Find something that adds to the scene. Don't just rely on the sun. Don't just rely on the colors and the textures of the clouds. If you can find something cool, it doesn't have to be this magnanimous tree or anything really wildly awesome. It can be a barn. It can be a small shrub. Just something that provides some context, some familiarity, a foreground element. Underexpose your shot. Bring out the richness. Bring out the color. Darkness is your friend when it comes to sunsets. It's weird to say, but it is. It brings out that color and saturation. And then while you're doing that, if you can combine the foreground element and the underexposure, you can use that decoupling procedure I was talking about, decoupling your focusing from your metering. And then wait around a little bit, toy with blue hour if you have a tripod, see if the sunset gets any more dramatic as it goes over the mountains, maybe some clouds more in your nearer field of view actually get more colorful. It happens very often for me when I'm photographing in Colorado. And then very last, start with a rule of thirds, start with traditional rules of composition, and then think about breaking them. I love this technique of exaggerated composition. And there you have it. Those are the tips for great sunrise and sunset photography. Folks, it's always a pleasure to talk about my favorite techniques. This one is near and dear to my heart. You you can't take a bad photo of a sunset or sunrise, but you can take a really, really darn good one if you're a little bit more deliberate. Think about these steps next time you're out there, and we'll see you next time.